0: hello and welcome to a daily walk with pastor john randall a ministry of calvary chapel san juan capistrano open your bible and join us as together we seek to grow in our daily walk with the lord
1: when we arrived at the 12th chapter of the book of romans the apostle paul began to write on the subject of practical Christianity. He explained how a Christian is to live his or her life for Jesus. And it begins by committing all that I am to Christ. And this commitment, it's not partial, it's not half-hearted, but it's total, it's complete. Paul referred to this commitment as our reasonable service. In light of all that Jesus has done for me, he gave his life so that I could have life. The least that I can do is now live my life for him. Next, we discovered that we not only have the blessing of being in a personal relationship with the living God, but we're also part of something that is bigger than ourselves. We're members of the body of Christ known as the church. We are different from one another with a diversity of gifts, but we are all connected to one another and connected to the Lord Jesus. And within this church body, the Lord has distributed gifts unto his people that both expound upon the word of God and expand the work of God. The greatest gift that we have is that of love. First and foremost, a love for the Lord, then a love for His people, and finally, a love for those who are lost within this world. But now into the 13th chapter, the emphasis and the focus changes from our functioning as part of the body to our role as Christians within society. What is the Christian's responsibility to civil authority? How are we to live in response to our political structure that we have within our country? It's important to keep in mind, first of all, the historical context in which this letter was written. The church that Paul was writing to in Rome was predominantly Gentile. However, there were also Jews within the congregation, and both Jew and Gentile alike, were under the rule of the Roman Empire. Many of the Jews were consistently rebellious against the Roman occupation and authority. A number of Jews actually formed a group that were known as the Zealots. And the Zealots refused to pay taxes and often engaged in terrorist attacks of insurrection in attempts to overthrow the government of Rome. Many of them would even turn on their own people taking the lives of fellow countrymen and burning their houses for paying any tribute to Rome. Yet Paul points out that respecting and abiding under civil authority is an important part of practical Christianity. The Bible says that as Christians, we are in reality a part of an entirely different kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. In writing to the Philippians, Paul said that our citizenship is in heaven. In his first epistle, Peter declared that we are sojourners and pilgrims and we're simply passing through. For the believer in Jesus, this earth is a temporary stop on the way to our home in heaven. Like Abraham, we are looking and living for a city whose builder and maker is God, we're longing for, as the writer of Hebrews says in the 11th chapter, a heavenly country. Nevertheless, that does not mean that we are exempt from abiding by the governmental authority that has been placed over us. Now, let me begin by saying that in this context, the Apostle Paul isn't addressing the subject of corruption within the government, and there was corruption within the Roman government. Nor is he commenting about obeying God rather than the government if the government goes against God's word. Rather, he is simply emphasizing that Christians, followers of Jesus, should be outstanding model citizens. Christians shouldn't be breaking the laws of the land Or lying on their tax returns were believers were followers of Jesus Christ and so he begins by exhorting the church here let every soul be subject to the governing authorities and the reason there is no authority except from God and God appoints the authorities that exist he begins by exhorting his readers to be in submission to the governing authorities and he gives the reasons why The first reason is because authority comes from God and is appointed by God. In the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 9, as Noah and his family exited the ark, the Lord inaugurated human government when he gave unto Noah the authority of a magistrate for the carrying out of capital punishment on those who would take the life of another. This authority was for the purpose of regulating human affairs. Later on, God gave to his people the Ten Commandments. The structure, the laws were all instituted by God. You remember when Jesus was being questioned by Pilate before his crucifixion and how he remained silent, fulfilling biblical prophecy. He was like a lamb led before his shearers, so he opened not his mouth, the Bible says. And Pilate became rather frustrated With Jesus's lack of response and so he expressed his political power by saying to Jesus in John chapter 19 are you not speaking to me do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you and Jesus replied you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above Jesus recognized that there was authority and that authority was from above. Now we may not agree with every policy of a person in power and authority, but we are to respect that person's position. And in this country, we have been given the opportunity, the freedom to actually vote our convictions. But as a Christian, when it comes to civil authority, We are to be, as the Bible says here, subject to it. The word subject is a word that represented a logistical term which described the arrangement of military implements on a battlefield for effective warfare. And the word itself is used in what's called the present imperative and it just simply means it's a command. It's a command calling for continual obedience. For a believer to fulfill this command, he or she must yield to the governing authority, first of all, of the Holy Spirit, who enables grace-based obedience rather than legalistic obedience. It's the Holy Spirit working in my life to yield to that authority that is over me. The Apostle Paul, in exhorting Titus in his pastoral epistle, chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey and to be ready for every good work. Peter, writing to the church that was suffering persecution. In 1 Peter chapter 2, this is what he said to the believers. He said, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governor's, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And then Paul wrote to Timothy, and he exhorted the church in First Timothy chapter two. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings, for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Because authority comes from God and is appointed by God, we are to yield to that authority. Secondly, if you resist that authority, you will suffer the consequences." Look what it says in verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. I love Philip's translation of this passage. Listen to what he says. Every Christian ought to obey the civil authorities, for all legitimate authority is derived from God's authority, and the existing authority is appointed under God to oppose authority then is to oppose God and such opposition is bound to be punished. The verb for resist here is used in the present tense and it pictures one who continually and habitually resists authority and does so as a way of life. If you break the laws of the land, you will either do the time or pay the fine that comes with breaking the law, you'll suffer the consequences, you'll reap whatever it is you sow. If you are trying to secretly break the laws that you don't agree with, or you don't feel they're that important to you, you may get, if I may say, busted. And you'll be held accountable. Shady business deals, questionable ethics, under the table dealing, those types of things we may try to justify in our flesh, but God will bring them to the light. Now, when it comes to submission to those who are over us, when it comes to being aware of what's going on in our society, I do believe that it is important to be aware, to be informed. I believe we ought to take a stand when it is necessary that we ought to write letters, sign petitions, contact our congressmen, vote our convictions in order to make a difference. In fact, shame on us if we do not exercise the liberty and freedom that men and women have died to protect. Amen? Listen, I have traveled to other parts of the world where people are longing for liberty and have no access to it. But when we express those differences, we do so within the context of being upright, godly, law-abiding citizens. We should vote. We should express our beliefs. Let me also say, that I do believe that there can be the tendency to exchange the purpose of the church, which, by the way, is to be advancing the kingdom of God, and we have taken on the task of trying to moralize a culture. We're trying to change the outside of society rather than changing the hearts of the individuals within the society. Friends, there is no legislation that can be lobbied for or put into law that can change the heart of a man or woman. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ has that kind of power. There are even those today who are leaving the use of their pulpits, which should be for the proclamation of the life-giving message of the Word of God, and they are emphasizing political agendas. Rather than exegesis of the scriptures, they are rebroadcasting to the congregation the recent political problems. Listen, I know that when you come into this place, you're very well aware of the problems. And when you come in here, you don't need to hear about more problems, you need to hear about the solution. And thus I want to present the word of God. I want to present to you Jesus Christ and him crucified. Sadly, there are those Christians who have exchanged their devotional times of reading and listening to God's word for reading and listening to political commentaries. It's rather depressing and not very encouraging. I'm not saying you shouldn't be informed. I'm not saying you shouldn't be aware. Please don't misunderstand. But I'm saying don't ever neglect the word of God for these other things. Listen, the answer is not in the White House. The answer is in God's house. And the answer is from heaven. That's where it comes from. (laughs) And our task, it's always been, and it will always be as the church to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus walked the earth, when Jesus was born into this world, the government was worse than it is now. When the apostles were there in the book of Acts, and it says they turned the world upside down, what were they doing? Preaching and teaching the word of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The amazing thing to me is that in light of the current governmental political situation of Paul's day, Paul wasn't organizing picket lines. Paul was not encouraging people to political activism. For one thing, if he did, they would have all been killed. Rome didn't put up with any form of insurrection. They didn't have that freedom, as it were. Although Paul did use the law to his own advantage. Remember, when he was being tried unlawfully, he said, as a Roman citizen, I appeal to Caesar. And to Caesar, he went. I mean, he used the law when he needed to use the law, and we should too. It's there for a purpose. But folks, listen. I'm not losing sleep over coming elections. I am not stressing over the current political system and all that the media reports. I pray for those who are in authority. I desire to be salt and light in my own community. I know that God says that all power is ordained by him. I don't have to fear. God is working sovereignly behind the scenes to fulfill his ultimate will and purpose. I want to be a godly, law-abiding citizen, not a militant vigilante. That is not what God's called me to be. Now, having said all that, let me add the balance by saying that a case can be made from Scripture when there are moments in time when there is a higher law that must be obeyed, the law of God supersedes the law of man. Let me give you examples. First of all, from the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 1, when Pharaoh decreed and commanded that all of the midwives drowned the newborn babies of the Jewish people. They refused. They hid the children. They protected them. They would not put them to death. They stood in the gap, listen, for the unborn. And God blessed them for it. Folks, we need to be people who stand in the gap for the unborn. Listen, amen? Amen? A voice for the voiceless. I think of the book of Daniel. When Daniel went into Babylon... And the statue was built. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were commanded that when the music played, they must bow down. They said, we're not going to bow, king. Play on. We're not going to bow down. And they were thrown into the furnace. And God delivered them. In Daniel chapter 6, you remember that the wise men who were plotting against Daniel went to the king and they said, hey, king, we got a great idea. We were thinking about putting out a decree that No one pray to any other God except to you. What do you think? I think that's a great idea, he said. He signed the paperwork. But they knew that Daniel prayed three times a day. And so when Daniel heard the law that was given saying you can't pray, what did he do? He opened up his windows, got on his knees, and prayed. Got thrown into the lion's den. But there was another law that superseded the law of the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians and Rome and that is to obey God. What about the New Testament? Think about in the book of Acts, following the healing of the lame man, there at the beautiful gate at the temple, Peter and John were taken in to stand before the Sanhedrin, and they told him, we told you not to preach in that name anymore. Remember what they said? Acts chapter four, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, but we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Second time, Acts chapter 5, similar situation. This time put into prison for preaching. Then they were brought before the Sanhedrin and then afterwards they were beaten. But in Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles answered their accusers and they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And that is true. There are occasions when we choose to obey God rather than men. But folks, listen. Generally speaking, and in the context of this epistle, generally speaking, what Paul is writing about here is we are called to submit to the authorities that are over us. Christians should be model citizens for others because we realize the authority structure was appointed by God. Secondly, that to disobey authorities, to resist them, is to suffer the consequences. But thirdly, folks, we obey the laws and we live uprightly in a society. And you know what that does? We have nothing to worry about. In one sense. For notice what Paul says For rulers aren't a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what's good, and you'll have praise from the same. He's God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He's God's minister, an avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Have you ever had that experience of being late? Perhaps you overslept. Your alarm didn't go off. And you know that you're going to be late for work. So what do you do? You run out the door. You get in the car and you put the pedal down. And the whole time you're driving, weaving in and out of traffic like a NASCAR race, racer, you're doing a lot of praying. <laughs> Prayers like, I hope there's no CHP officers out today. Lord, please don't let me get pulled over. Why? You're afraid. You're panicked. The whole time you're looking in your rearview mirror in terror. Because you know if you get pulled over, you're going to get written up for how fast you were going. All right, true story this morning. It's early. I got to get to church. All my way, I was going a little bit faster than you're supposed to go. I don't remember exact speed, but I know it was over and I saw on the side of the road, and now they don't ride in cars anymore, it's hard to recognize, it's an SUV, it just throws you off. And I saw it and I was like, whoa, back it down, back it down, back it down. Fortunately I saw it, but you know, it's a reminder, I was in terror for a second. Another example is if you're driving and a light turns yellow. Some of us think that means punch it, speed up, light speed. But before you hit that light, it turns red. And what do you do? The first thing you do is you look for a policeman. In your rearview mirror, you're, looking, you're just like your, your head's on a swivel. Do you see? All right, we're good. And you don't do it again until the next yellow light. You realize that this is, you don't want to be afraid driving in fear or. Again, I'm sure nobody here does this. But if, if you're coming up to a place and you realize you missed an exit and you want to make a U-turn, but there's a light that says no U-turn, why, why, why? We question it. And we can even justify it. You know, I think Jesus would have put a U-turn sign on this. <laughs> it's right for me to obey God rather than man. <laughs> and the next U-turn, you feel like it's probably miles up. I'm not doing that. And I don't want to turn down there and go into the neighborhood and whip around and come back out. Why why do I know so much about this? So what you do is you make the U-turn anyway. And what do you do? You're immediately, again, swivel. You see anybody? We're good. All right, let's get back on the freeway. On the other hand, folks, and this is what I would encourage all of us to apply. If we're abiding by the rules, nothing to fear. You have nothing to worry about. It's not a terror to you. It can even be a comfort to you. You can wave as the officer goes by and pulls over another Christian. Just, hey, hey, hey." I know that guy. Goes to first service. I've seen him. Front row. You have nothing to worry about if you're obeying the rules. So we're to be subject to authority because the authority is from God. Secondly, we're not to resist authority lest we suffer the consequences of our rebellion and resistance. Resistance. But then Paul takes it a step further. And here's where things get really encouraging. Verse 6. For because of this you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending, this word, continually to this very thing. That is one thing that they are attending to continually. Taxes. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs are due. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, the Jews had a long history with taxes, even in the Old Testament. They taxed their own people through different tithes, and in the Old Testament, there were at least six required taxes that were mandatory that amounted to somewhere around 24%. Sometimes Jews were taxed by their own king For the purpose of his paying tribute, a form of extortion demanded by an overlord nation. When Paul wrote this epistle about paying taxes, the Romans were taxing the people at times severely. And the Jews despised the taxes that were imposed upon them. In fact, they even despised more tax collectors because what would happen is a tax collector would be required to take so much for the year and give it back to Rome, had a requirement. Anything he took above and beyond that, he could keep for himself. They had a license to rip their own people off. That is why tax collectors were so hated among the Jewish people because of their occupation, how they took advantage of them, and the only friends that they had were other tax collectors. Interesting, isn't it, that Jesus brought into his group of disciples a man who was a tax collector named Matthew? Also, he had a former zealot who was part of his discipleship group. But nonetheless, this question of taxes was a controversial issue, so much so that Jesus was questioned by the religious leaders. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And the reason why they asked Jesus that question, they thought they had him on the horns of a dilemma because if Jesus said, yeah, you should pay taxes to Caesar, they'd say, ah, he's pro-Roman government and they would turn the people against him. If he said, no, you don't need to pay taxes, don't worry about it, then they could turn Rome against him. They thought they had him. And remember what Jesus said? He asked for a coin. He didn't have one himself. And he said, whose inscription is on this coin? They said, Caesar's. Jesus said, then, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and render unto God what belongs to God.
0: Thanks for joining us today for A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. You'll find us online at adailywalk.org. That's a good place for resources to help you grow in your daily walk. If you'd like prayer or have questions or comments you'd like to share with us, our email is a dailywalk at gmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 877 242 0828. That's 877 242 0828. To watch today's message again or any message you may have missed in the series, download our free app. Simply search CCSJC. Be sure to stay tuned with Pastor John on Instagram at John P. Randall and on Twitter at PJRandall7. Make sure to join us next time when we'll again open the Word together seeking to apply God's truth to your daily walk.